0: Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 We're in our study of the book of Exodus, looking at the life of Moses in this particular segment of it. And here we're in the middle of Moses' call. We dealt with the first half of his call two weeks ago in Exodus 3. Now we're dealing with the second half of his call in Exodus 4 today. And uh, here we'll see uh, how Moses is in the middle of protesting God's call. When God keeps calling him to serve in a unique way by going to Pharaoh and telling Pharaoh to let God's people go. Listen to the word of the Lord from Exodus 4, starting in verse 1. Moses answered, the Lord that is, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground And it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on on the dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, "Oh my Lord, (laughs) I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm I'm, I'm slow of speech and, and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Take your staff, take your, in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, the BBC online back in um, September of 2007 carried this article of Mayor Alexander Kuzman of McGill in western Siberia, where he issued a list of excuses that will no longer be tolerated by civil servants. Kuzman said that the officials must stop using phrases such as, I don't know, and it's lunchtime. He said city officials should help improve people's lives and solve their problems, not making excuses. The mayor's press office said that the list consists of 27 forbidden phrases, including, there's no money. Here are a few of the phrases. What am I supposed to do? I'm not dealing with this. We're having lunch. The working day is over. Somebody else has the documents. I think I was off sick at the time. Kuzmin warned in a statement that the use of these expressions by city administration officials while speaking to the head of the city will speed their departure. Excuses can be a common thing. It can be easy to come up with excuses. Our training starts from the time that we start talking and can become more sophisticated As we get older, excuses come easily all too often, especially when we are asked to do something that is difficult, that seems to be beyond our ability. We can feel our weakness and our inability. We can feel that and then become sometimes even paralyzed or stuck. It's like we can't see the solution, so we kind of freeze, don't know what to do. In chapter 4, 1 through 17, Moses is being asked to do something that he doesn't feel confident to do. He doesn't feel equipped for it or able to do it. And he's right on one level. He can't do it in and of himself. He looks at his own abilities and realizes he can't. But yet that's the point, isn't it? Now God had assured him, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 12, he said, I will be with you. It's a promise. And they said later on in chapter 3, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. So in himself, Moses can't do it, but the encouraging thing is he doesn't go it alone, does he? God is with him. In this passage in front of us, God assures Moses by his sovereign power that he will be with him in his mission. God gives Moses all the assurance he needs in order to fulfill his mission of going and bringing God's people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so God patiently and firmly addresses Moses' objections and assures him so that he will walk by faith and not by sight. So as we approach this, I want us to ask this question. Let's think about this together. How does God, by his sovereign power, assure Moses so he will walk by faith and not by sight? And how does God assure you and I by his sovereign power so that we will walk by faith and not by sight? Well, the first thing we'll see in verses 1 through 9 is that God assures us by his sovereign, powerful works so that we will walk by faith. Now, it's good for us to get the context here. Two weeks ago, we started this in chapter 3, where Dean was speaking to us, where Moses had first had that encounter at the burning bush. And that encounter at the you can see that in chapter 3, verse 10. And in that conversation, Moses questions his own worthiness for the task. If you are to look at chapter 3, verse 11, he says, But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And this dialogue, it continues in this text this morning in verses 1 through 17 where Moses questions how the Israelites and even the Egyptians for that matter will actually respond to him. Now something we have to remember is we have to remember this is 40 years later. Moses had left Egypt 40 years prior because he had killed an Egyptian and there was a price on his head and so he had fled to Midian and so this is, it's been 40 years since he's been back, and you can imagine as he's getting this commission to go back, he probably has a few questions. Will Israel even listen to him? It's been a while. That price on his head, is he going to be in danger for his life if he goes back? So you and I, we can understand on a human level how he might be feeling going into this. But one thing's clear, he's lacking confidence, particularly in what God has said. God told him back in chapter 3, verse 18, they will listen to your voice. But then in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses is saying, they will not believe me. They will not listen to me. And so it's fair to say that Moses, he, he feels inadequate. He has doubt, and he's even afraid. But God... But God graciously responds, taking away his excuse. And you see in this first section here in verses 1 through 9, he gives him this power to do these different signs. Two of these signs he does actually right there at the burning bush, but one of those he does, he can only do later on when he takes water from the Nile and it becomes blood. He gives God, or God gives Moses the ability to take his staff, turn it into a serpent, then pick it up again. To put his hand in his cloak, becomes leprous, put it back, it's healed. He it gives him the ability to take that water from the Nile, pour it out, and it becomes blood. And some of you are thinking, okay, that's, that's great, but that's a little obscure, it's a little odd. That's great, superpowers, awesome. But what's the point? What are these, what are these for? Are they significant? Well, God is actually answering Moses' objections. Moses had an objection in verse 1 where he was saying, they won't hear me. They won't believe that you appeared to me. They won't listen to me. And so in his doubt, God actually answers him. In verse 5, he says, they will believe that the Lord, that I have appeared to you. In verses 8 and 9, if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, then God talks to him about the sign from the Nile. The point is, is that God is interacting with him on this. God hears him. God hears what he's saying, his objections, and he's answering him, saying, no, they will. Why? Because God is with him by his sovereign power. God is going to be with him in power. That's the thing with these signs. He will demonstrate it, and they will believe. God's sovereign power is displayed in these signs. These signs, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, were direct challenges to the Egyptian religion. We'll see this in the weeks ahead as we talk about the ten plagues in chapters 7 through 12. And basically, it's a showdown between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. How so? What do I mean? Take the staff, for example. You remember that? He gave him the ability to turn the staff into a serpent. So in Egyptian culture, in Egyptian religion, the magicians who had these staffs, these were symbols of power and authority. And so you can see what God is doing. He's saying, okay, that thing which you think gives you the power and authority over all people, I'm going to take that very thing And I'm going to use it in such a way to show you that I am the one true God who is sovereign over all, and there is none like me. The same thing with the water from the Nile. Uh, In Egyptian culture, it was believed that all life came from the Nile, it was a life giver in Egypt. And so you can imagine when when you take water from that and pour it on the ground, it becomes blood what God is saying by that. He's saying, not only do I have sovereign power over that, but actually that very thing which you think gives life, I can make it give death. That's who I am. You see, these signs came across in powerful ways that the sovereign, powerful God, he is with you. He is with you. These physical outward signs were meant to show Moses and everyone around that this is who God is. This is who is with you. This is the one who goes with you in power. And if I say that this is the way and this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. And so for Moses, the command is don't be afraid. No excuses. I will be with you. They will know that I appeared to you. They will listen to you because I go with you. A sovereign God. God. They're no match. They're no match for the sovereign God. Now, it can be easy, can it, to walk by sight and not by faith? That's essentially what Moses is doing here. He's walking by sight and not by faith. These visual signs which were given by the Lord to Moses were given in order to assuage Moses' concern. And you could say that, and even the people for that matter, are walking by sight and not by faith. I remember, for me, uh, in the early stages of one of my daughters getting type 1 diabetes, uh, learning that whole rhythm of maintaining and doing a lot of things manually, and then shifting to devices that monitor. And I remember in that time what was revealed in me. Fear. I was afraid. What happens when these things break down? will i harm my daughter will she get the care that she needs what happens when in the middle of the night i'm trying to load a syringe with the right amount did i give her too much did i give her too little did i see it rightly it's a big difference if i give her too much but what i noticed inside of me was when things broke down the first time you could call it silent internal panic you ever been there Silent, internal panic. Walking by sight, not by faith. How about you? How about you this morning? Where are you walking by sight and not by faith? It's easy for us, isn't it? If things are set up the way we want them to be set up and working in the way we hope and want them to work, then we have all the confidence in the world a lot of times, don't we? But what happens when the bottom falls out? Sometimes we go to God saying, yes, I trust you if you do this, this, and this. Instead of just taking him at his word. Moses is walking by sight and not by faith. And he's being encouraged over and over, take him at his word. And that's the call to you and I, to take him at his word. He is with us in power, and he does not leave us alone. He is with us. Well, after these signs, you can imagine maybe that the excuses would stop. But in verse 10, you see this, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And we see in verses 10 through 17 that God assures us by his sovereign, powerful words. So we will walk by faith. Now, we're not sure exactly what Moses' speech difficulty was. He could have been a stammerer. Also, he had been away from Egypt for 40 years. So it's possible he didn't feel comfortable speaking the language as much as he, was before, as he had before. And you can, And for a guy like him who had been raised in Pharaoh's household... Who knew what went on in the court? Understood the culture and the religion. You can imagine he doesn't feel very eloquent. He's going to go and speak in Pharaoh's court. And this is another thing we need to know: the magicians. Not only could they perform different uh, miraculous things, but actually they were known for their eloquence. So much so that they actually reveled in it. So not only to have these stabs of power and authority, but then they're very eloquent. And on a very human level, how intimidating that would be. How intimidating to walk in there and go, But I can't speak. I you know we're up to par to who they are. But that's the point. <laughs> God says, I will be with you. You see, Moses, what he's basically saying is, God, you're calling me to do this, but I don't feel like I have the gifts and abilities and skills that I need in order to do this. And God's response back to him is basically saying, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have me, and I will be with you. Not only in giving you the power to do these miracles, but I will be with you even in your very words. I will speak through you. But he responds to Moses. He's getting more emphatic now. The time for talking is drawing to a close, and the time for him to go is quickly coming And so he says in verse 12, he says, as you look down there in the text, he says, Go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. Now, one thing you can say about Moses is that he has great confidence in his inability, but he doesn't have confidence in his ability. So much so that there's another excuse that comes after this. If you, re- if you read in verse 13, it's basically, send somebody else. But if you're looking at the Hebrew text, basically what he says is, please, Lord, send now by the hand of whom you will send. In other words, please, Lord, send someone, anyone you want to send, not me. It's implying that in this text. Now, one thing you can say about Moses is that he is just not that enthusiastic to go and do what God has called him to do. Kind of like when your parents tell you maybe to clean up your room or to do some chores. Maybe you're not enthusiastic. Or maybe when your spouse tells you to do this or to take out the trash. Not enthusiastic. Or when the IRS tells you it's time to file your taxes. Not enthusiastic, are we? But God he responds in verse 14, and his response is actually pretty graphic. It's, it's, the meaning of it comes across in the text. But literally what it says is, The nostrils or nose of Yahweh burned or heated up. It sounds very funny. You're just thinking of God's, you know, you might picture this raging bull. In other words, the point that's being made is what Moses has said is now kindling God's anger. And God is angry. God is angry, angry, rightly so. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't punish him. He doesn't wipe him out. The flame doesn't come shooting out from the bush and incinerate him. He doesn't remove his call. He doesn't say, okay, never mind. I'll go get somebody else. You're off the hook. But God, he moves in. Moses has his objections, God has his answers, and Moses is going to continue to go forward doing what God has called him to do. God does respond, making another concession. He says, I'll give you Aaron. I'll give you Aaron. And in fact, Aaron is on his way. Did you notice that in verse 14? It said, behold, he's coming out to meet you. Isn't this interesting? This whole theme of God's sovereign power, God's sovereignty, God knowing this already has Aaron on his way when he's in this dialogue with Moses before Moses even protested. There should be great comfort in that. Again and again, you kind of can hear this implicit, like Moses, I am with you in power. Moses, I am with you in power. Moses, you can do this with me, with you in power. You can do this. By my strength, depending upon me, these overtures that are made again and again. Well, Aaron will be Moses' mouthpiece in verse 16. God will be with Aaron's mouth and Moses and teach Moses what to do. You see that also in verses 14 and 15. And you'll see in your text that Moses will be like God to Aaron in the sense of prophecy. That's what that means. Just as God would speak his words to the prophets, who would speak his word to the people, so Moses will speak to Aaron, who will speak to Pharaoh. He will be his mouthpiece. Aaron will be his mouthpiece. Aaron will speak the words spoken to him by Moses. And what we see here in verses 10 through 17 is that God is assuring Moses by his sovereign, powerful works and his words. That he will be with him. That he will be with him in power. He will be with him as he speaks. And he doesn't let Moses get out of it, does he? He removes all of his excuses. And he actually provides, doesn't he? He provides. And he pushes him forward to do what he has called him to do. You know, I wonder, it's not in it's not explicit in this text. But I wonder if part of this back and forth was for Moses to see what was really inside of him. The text doesn't say that. God surely knew everything that was going on inside Moses' heart. He knows all things. But I wonder if this back and forth was there so that he would show him, Moses, this is what is in your heart, really. Because with every excuse I shut down, you are revealed more and more. What comes to the surface is just your lack of confidence because you're looking to self. You're not looking to me. Well, after this, there are no more excuses. You can see that. And we've come to the point, as they say. And Moses is going to go forward and he's going to go to Egypt and he's going to bring Israel out of Egypt. If you were Moses, how would you be feeling? Would you be someone who's like him and feeling that lack of confidence, feeling that fear? Or would you be someone on the other end going, are you kidding me? He just gave me superpowers. I got this. I can do this. No problem. Which end of the spectrum do you tend toward? Are you someone that looks at yourself and goes, oh, I got this. I can do this. Or you, someone on the other end of the spectrum that looks at themselves and says, There's no way I can do this. For me, I'm on that other end of the spectrum. I'm on that spectrum with Moses. I resonate with Moses. I feel his inability within himself, I feel his fear. There's nothing like church planning to make you feel incompetent and that you don't have it all together, you can't do it, you are feel unable to do it. So nothing like that. And that comes onto my doorstep from time to time, surprises me from time to time, comes up, rings my doorbell, and won't leave. And even though Jesus is in my house, he's on the porch and he keeps ringing my doorbell. And I have to go face him. I have to go talk with him and I have to tell him to go. But this is how I have to do it. I have to tell him that, no, Jesus is in my house. He is the one that I need. He is with me. You don't provide any comfort that I need. You don't provide any satisfaction that can really assuage my fears and my worries and my doubts. He can, and he does over and over, so it's time for you to go. How about you guys? What end of that spectrum are you on? You know, no matter what end of the spectrum you and I are on, one thing's clear. You and I are looking to self. Think about this. If you're this person on the end of the spectrum that says, looks at self and says, I got this. You're trusting yourself. If you're the person on the other end of the spectrum that looks at themself and said, there's no way I can do this. You're looking at self. And so both ends need to repent and need to look to the one who can provide for us, who is with us. You know, it's clear whether we, whatever pole you are on, one thing we can see with Moses is that he lacks confidence. But Moses is someone that points us to a greater someone, Jesus Christ. He points us to the one who was sent by the Father, came from heaven, sent by his Father, who was empowered to go and rescue you and I from the land of slavery, and that is to our sin. To rescue us, to bring us out, who didn't offer any excuses, who didn't have any objections, but rather went and did in order to glorify himself and his Father. He was one who was mighty in word and mighty in works. He never hesitated. He never gave excuses. He came and he succeeded where you and I failed. He paid for all of our excuses, our fears, our weaknesses. And he stood in our place and he paid the penalty for our sin. And he accomplished the Father's will. You know, as you look through the Old Testament, maybe you're familiar with it or not. And by the Old Testament, I mean that first, the, the Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament New Testament. It starts with the book of Genesis, ends with Malachi in the Old Testament. If you look at from Genesis 3 to Malachi, there is an implicit question going on in the scriptures. The implicit question of where's the Redeemer? Who is he? Is this the one? And with every person that comes on the scene in the Old Testament, there's that question of is this the one? Is this the one to come? and crush the head of the serpent, that is Satan, and to save us. Is is this the one? The Old Testament is looking forward to and hoping and, and, and looking for the Messiah to come because you and I need that forgiveness for our sins. We need a savior. And the beautiful thing is when you come to the New Testament, it's screaming, it's shouting, saying, he's here. He's here. Hallelujah. Praise him. Moses is not the Christ. As we look at Moses, we see that he is a type of Christ. That he points us toward the Christ. And this should draw our hearts and minds to the one who did come. And who did rescue us from that land of slavery. That bondage of sin. He's the one that came and he went to the cross representing us, taking our fears, our concerns, all of our sins, our objections, our doubts, our inabilities, and he nailed every single one to the cross, finally and fully. That's a beautiful thing. He wiped away all of our sin And he is the one we needed. And he is the one we need. One of Jesus' disciples later on in one of his letters in the book of 2 Peter. In 2 Peter 1, Peter says this to those followers of Jesus. He says this. He says, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, we have what we need. We have Christ. We have him in us by his spirit. We have been empowered. We don't go it alone. We stand in him. And in that, there's great strength. This morning, I want to encourage you to trust in him, to trust the one who assures us by his sovereign power so that we will walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize and we see yet again of the ways in which as we stand before you that we fall short But Father, we are not alone and we are not left without hope or help. Rather, you have given us your Son, who is not only atoned and paid for our sins, but is the one who is with us every moment of every day, 24-7, 365. Father, help us to walk in your strength, to live for you, to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. Be with us, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.